postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. A world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising up white flag and saying, Ah! It's all the secular people's fault and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic campaign. How can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism Redesigned. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Marcus here, and I want to welcome you back to the Story Church Podcast. I'm super stoked to be here with you guys this week because I was not here with you guys last week, and neither was poor Paul Anthony. Uh, Listen, this is what happened to you guys. Paul Anthony and I spent an amazing hour uh, not last week, but the week before, recording the episode that was supposed to be released last week. Um, and then it turns out, when I went to edit the episode, that Paul Anthony's audio was not picked up on in the entire recording. So you could just hear my voice, and you could not hear, anytime he spoke, you just couldn't hear anything. Um, and we couldn't meet together last week to re-record it, so... Uh, we just had to wait an extra week. So I want to, first of all, thank you guys for your grace. Uh, thank you for your forgiveness, for your kindness, um, that uh, your favorite podcast in the world, uh, currently hosting the best season of your favorite podcast in the world, was not available last week. Um, so yeah, thank you guys. But we are ready to take off again. Um, so really what we're, what we're actually doing today is we're, we're actually re-recording the episode that uh, that failed, the, with the, had the technical difficulties, uh, done a bit of a test and everything seems to be running well today. So we're gonna go for it. And uh, we're gonna, we're just gonna dive into this like we've never talked about it before. Fresh, fresh energy, fresh angle, fresh perspective, uh, fresh anointing. And we are diving into part three of ministering with the LGBT plus community. Uh, so with that said, Paul, welcome back, bro. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me. Glad to be back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is going to be fun, man. This is I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this. So um, in the first two episodes, we've we've been focusing on what not to do. Uh, and there's a, there's a reason for that, by the way, for those who might be wondering, why are you focusing on what not to do? Uh, and, and the reason for that is... Um, I don't know if I said this in episode two. See, here's the thing, guys. Because we have like these two weeks between us, and I just don't know what I've said, not said. What was said in episode three um, that needs to be repeated or might have been said in episode two that I think was said in episode three? Who knows? So if I repeat something, you know, continue to show me grace. But C.S. Lewis has an interesting statement in one of his books where he talks about forward movement. And he says that in order for forward movement to, to, to be effective, uh, there's no point in moving forward if you're on the wrong road. So the first thing that you have to do is you have to turn around and you have to go backward. You have to get back to the intersection where you took the wrong turn. And then you can start to move forward on the right road. So it makes no sense to push forward if you're going in the wrong direction. right? And so part of what we're doing here, the reason why we decided to start with, you know, here are some things not to do is because, again, it just to quote C.S. Lewis, going backwards is the quickest way on, right? Um, and a lot of times in our relationships and in our interactions with the LGBT plus community, there are so many myths and so many lies and so many distortions that it makes no sense to say, hey, let's move forward, let's create a plan on how we can minister with the LGBT community if we haven't gone backward and uh, deconstructed and addressed some of those distortions. So we've talked about um, a few of those so far. We've talked about um, don't presume that you understand LGBT plus sexualities. That was our first episode. Then we talked about don't assume what you hear in the news about LGBT plus people to be true um, or that LGBT plus people are a monolith. Uh, and then we also talked about don't presume that you have a thoroughgoing understanding of biblical sexuality. That was that was a really fun one to explore. So what we're going to do in, in today's episode, we're going to begin with this one. And, and I think I think we might talk about this one in episode two as well, but we're going to start from here. All right, we're starting from here. 
uh, and we're just going to go from there. So don't assume, this is, a, this is the point that I want to jump into here, Paul. Don't assume that LGBT plus people are not pursuing Jesus or that a disagreement on the doctrine of marriage and sex is tantamount to being unbiblical. All right, so that's, that's a deep one. That's a heavy one, bro. I want to I wanna turn it over to you. Walk me through this. Yeah, um, it, it, go, it kind of goes without saying that Christians don't trust that LGBT people come with the same kind of integrity that straight people come with toward their relationship with God or toward interpreting the word of God or living ethically um, or be, being surrendered to God. There's an assumption that because LGBT people are LGBT, there is this kind of brokenness that we experience that uh, that prevents us from being able to come to God in good faith um, or being able to experience God or surrender to God um, with all of our hearts or being honest in our spiritual pursuits. And really that just comes from a, a, a queer phobic um, perspective. Um, it's not founded LGBT people. There are many LGBT people um, who love God, or I'll, maybe I'll say this, say that in a different way. LGBT people are no less um, trying to be faithful to God than straight people are. We're just humans um, and we're no more prone to sin than to straight people. We're no more prone to rebellion against God than our straight people. And that's an important point, um, especially when it comes to getting into the nitty gritty about, about sexual ethics. Um, but I, I think, Marcos, that even straight Christians have a problem with LGBT plus people, whether they're celibate or married. This isn't just a problem that they have with side A, people, side A um, LGBT people, those who have, um, would affirm um, gay marriage or gay sex. Um, for, um, let, maybe let, let, me, let me pause you there for a second because I, <laughs> I, 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 I want to poke on this, man. I want to poke on this because this is massive. But before you do that, I want you to define these terms because I know these terms are, are, are common in LGBT plus discussions. Um, and there may be some people who are unfamiliar with them. Side A, side B, side C. Can you define those for us, those for us really quickly? And then I want to talk about, I want to dig into this point that you're making because I think it's, it's so profound and, and so important. Side A, side B, side C. What does that mean in the LGBT plus sure. discussion? Okay, so side A and side B refer to um, two different positions um, regarding uh, gay marriage or marriage in general. So the side B position will basically um, affirm a traditional biblical sex ethic that says that marriage is only between one woman and one man. Um, Side A theology is a more pro, pro, puts forward a more progressive biblical sex ethic that says that gay marriage, gay sex is something that is okay with God. Um, and I, I think it's important that we that it's stated and clarified up front that both sides are seeking to be biblical. That's why I, I articulate both as being biblical, progressive biblical sex ethic or traditional biblical sex ethic. Being biblical, a lot of people think that being biblical means that you have the right answer, that you have obtained a certain objective status with, with you know, when you're looking at the way that reality is. It's like, no, you're just as much, your perspective of the world is just as much um, given with respect to, you, to your, your, subject, your, your subjectivity as the next person's. Um, so uh, especially this is something I say to, I, I tend to say this a, a lot of times to people on the more conservative end because they'll look at people on the more uh, progressive end and say, oh, they're not trying to be biblical. It's like, no, they are being biblical. They're going to the word of God and seeking to be grounded in the word of God. They're just coming to a different conclusion. Um, and again, this is, we're, we're not objective beings. We don't see the reality of the universe objectively. We're constantly, as Kant talked, the philosopher Immanuel Kant spoke about it, we're constantly uh, experiencing the world. I'm going to butcher this. So for all the philosophers out there, don't, I know how to say it right. I'm not going to get into it right now. But we're constantly engaging with the world through our representations of the world. Um, and, and our representations of the world are given through our subjectivity. So we need to be very careful when it comes to talking about any matter, 
any ethical or biblical matter, we need to be very careful in claiming that our position is the quote biblical one, because anyone can give a, a, a foundation, a biblical foundation, a Bible based, uh, a Bible substantiated foundation for what they believe. And on, and to speak to my more progressively minded friends, and I, and I, I, I tend to be, I, I'm more gracious toward the side because I understand that, um, the LGBT community has, because we have been so persecuted, anything that would seem to restrict um, or say that certain things aren't allowable that would be natural for us, um, I can understand why that would sound oppressive. What I like, what I would also call those who are more progressively minded is to remember that just as much as you would want the conservatively minded person to be gracious toward you, um, and not say that you're being a heretic or not trying to be faithful to the word of God, extend that same grace to those who are um, traditionally minded. And you might disagree with the, the position that they take, and you might believe that the perspective they, that they take might be inherently flawed or, 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 or oppressive or repressive, but don't assume that they are, that the traditional biblical sex ethic has to be about oppressing someone. I guess what I like to call both progressively minded and conservatively minded believers on this matter to consider is that we can we need to have a better we need to be more instantaneous in trusting each other and trusting the goodwill of the other and hoping. And yes, there are gonna be a lot of people out there who don't have goodwill. Those who, there are people out there who are come up, coming from a place of homophobia. There are people who are out there who are not trying to be founded in the word of God. But I think that the conversation on this matter will be able to become more productive if we come into the conversation trusting um, that the other person is coming in good faith. Yeah, yeah, I love it, man, I love it. And I, I wanna I wanna jump in there real quick, but just just before I do that, so side A is people who have a more progressive sexual biblical. ethic when it comes to uh, biblical ethic when it comes to um, LGBT plus sexuality. Um, so more of an affirming theology, I, yeah, I would imagine. Gay marriage. And then right. side B takes on the more traditional position. So so on a practical level, uh, a person who identifies as side A LGBT would be perfectly um, okay with getting with getting married, for example, with same sex. And a person mm -hmm. who's side B would probably be looking at celibacy. Did I did I get that right? Like is yeah, um, and there are a lot of ways that side B people live. Um, so some side B people will be celibate. Some will be will become involved in that's not that's a weird way of, that's a really weird way of saying that um they'll be part of mixed orientation marriages um they'll be married to a person of the opposite sex um yeah and, and then others will and even though they're celibate that doesn't mean you know being celibate we'll talk about this later but that doesn't equate with you know equate to being lonely some side be people to, um, decide to live in intentional community, which is a biblical principle that often people who get married lack um, practicing because they're so focused on their one biological unit. Um, so there's a lot of ways that um, that side B people live. Um, and I, I would love to see more getting over the fact that there will probably never be a time where there will be absolute consensus on this matter, but creating some kind of a forum or community or space within the family of God um, where we can say, okay, we disagree on this and we hold very strong opinions about this and we don't, but we recognize that each of us here are trying to be surrendered to God we're just coming to different perspectives. I want I want to build a community of trust. And and I, and I want to come back to that in a moment because I think there's actually, I think there's an elephant in the room with that one. I want to I want to parse it in a moment. But before before I jump onto that, isn't there isn't there another side? I think I think I started out by asking about side A, side B, side C. I might have gotten completely wrong with the whole C thing. But isn't there a third one as well? I have heard that there's yeah. three. Yeah. 
So, okay, yeah. So if you want to break down, and you can break down side A into several categories, probably along other lines. I'm just not as familiar with them. Within the side B, under the side B umbrella, maybe I should say, there are maybe three over overarching um, distinctions. There are people that are side X, which are people who say, and I'm gonna to try to remember these the distinctions off the top of my head. Side X people are those who would tend to be in favor of um, gay conversion therapy to that would be for a gay person to supposedly become straight, even though the research demonstrates that that is not effective and it can be very detrimental um, to, um, to one's health. Um, but that, that's a whole other matter. Lots of, lots of research has been done to demonstrate that it's not as effective. And in fact, it's a rather, um, not, not to be disrespectful, but it's a rather um, silly endeavor because mm -hmm. sexuality is a spectrum. It's not, we, they aren't these hard and fast static statuses of, of sexual preference. They, it's very fluid. So seeking to make someone become straight, I mean, what does that even mean really when even straight people are not necessarily as straight as they conceive themselves to be. So that's that's another matter, but that's the side X thing. Side X would say, you know, you it's not good to be gay. Like being gay, whatever constitutes being gay, that is a state of sinfulness and it's not good to have it. And it should be sought to not be, one should seek to not have it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so side X then aims to a side X then sees the the essence or the ontology of an LGBT plus person as inherently sinful, and 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 that something be, something that must be converted or um, I don't even want to use the word converted because I don't think it conveys what I'm trying to say here, but yeah, something that converted must, would probably work. <laughs> yeah. Like change, yeah, yeah like, yeah, change. I think it, 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 it's complex, it. yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so there, there is a sense in which, and I can't, I can't speak for all, for, for those who do affirm that position, I don't affirm that position, I think it's, I think it's, um, I have a lot of friends who do affirm that position, um, I think it is, I don't think it's philosophically very robust, it's not um, scientifically very aware um, so I, I don't think it stands up to just what sexuality is all about. It's too, it's too reductive. Remember, you were talking about the seduction of reduction. It reduces things um, um, to a to a to a, a very punchable core that isn't really what homosexuality is entirely about. Um, but so they would say that the sexuality itself, having it, is not good. Of course, gay sex and gay marriage are not are not godly. They're not Bible permitted. Um, and then furthermore, to identify as being gay is also wrong. So it's gay sex is wrong or not, not biblical. Um, gay identity is not biblical. Um, and being gay in and of itself, whatever that means, is not good. So toward heading toward the, maybe if you want to say the, the left, um, toward side A, not really toward side A, but on a more open-minded i don't know how to yeah, say yeah. that more you know what i'm trying to say, <laughs> or that side trying to say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i'm gonna get a lot of hate for this that's okay um so it would be side y side y would refer to those um who say okay yes we don't we don't believe that gay gay marriage or gay sex is what god designed um but we don't believe that being gay again, whatever constitutes that, is, is wrong. Um, and it's not a thing that you need to change. Now, there's going to be variations within side why as, you know, about that. Um, but the general tenor is that it's not wrong to have these feelings. Um, but they would say still, it's not okay to identify as being gay, because in some way you are identifying with sin. So they would probably, most of them, most side why people that I know, use the term um, same-sex attracted, or they might speak of themselves as being homosexual. Um, so that's what that's what side Y is all about. Gay identity is, is, is not biblical. We shouldn't do it. Gay sex obviously is a no, um, but being gay is not wrong. And it's not something that you have to change. Um, and then side B proper, I like to say side B proper, even though this is under the umbrella <laughs> of side B. 
I like to say site B proper are those um, who say, okay, um, because I, and this is, this is, I find where side B umbrella is at its best, where it's thinking the most nuanced, where it's thinking the most um, in depth and maybe even is the most missiologically aware. Um, they, it's, well, firstly, um, side B proper would say, it's not wrong to identify as being gay. So for instance, I call it, I'm, I'm gay. And I even celebrate the fact that I'm gay. I go to gay pride parades. Um, I have a pride flag hanging in my room. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I, I celebrate the fact that I'm gay. Um, and, you, and you identify as a, a gay Christian as well, which is- Like very gay, like Kinsey yeah. scale six gay, like <laughs> extremely gay, like <laughs> a gay of gays. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, oh, and, uh, and then there, but of course, I B would say that God does God um, designed it that marriage is between one one woman and one man. I'm um, still like side X and side Y people. Um, but then, moreover, we also don't um, believe that being gay is a state of fallenness. So even though side B people will say side B proper people will say. Um, gay sex is not something that God designed because being gay is not reducible to just sex or sexual acts, though, though to be certain it is not without those things. Um, but because it cannot be reduced to those things, uh, because it is just as much cultural orientation as much as it is sexual orientation and sexual uh, and sexual identity, um, because of that fact, we like to celebrate those parts of it and harmonize with our LGBT plus brothers and sisters um, or otherwise um, who might be in the side eight camp or other or elsewhere, not Christian at all. Um, there's, there's a missiological awareness there that it's that we want to be all things to all people as much as we can and break down as many walls as we can holding to our convictions, but wanting to be present with people and not turn our our concern for our piety into a way of making further walls between us and the world. Now, that isn't to say that people who are side X or side Y are not living up to the best that they know and that they're not trying to do it as godly. I believe they are. Um, and that's a, that's a clarifying point because often side X and side Y people, even if I radically disagree with them, they'll often get dogged on um, and even some of their some of their beliefs frustrate me. <laughs> frustrate me. Um, there's a there's a there's a a I would say side X um, ministry within the Adventist Church um, parachurch organization. The people I, I love them. Um, I know a few of them. They're wonderful people. I'm seeking to do the work of the Lord just as much as I am. Um, but we just have different perspectives on it because we have different experiences, different theological understandings. Um, so I would say that even as a side B person, or I, there are even people within the side B camp that I have to be gracious toward in the same way that I, I would want my side A brothers and sisters to be gracious toward the side, side B people. So I, I guess I just want all the way around there to be more consideration for the fact that people are doing the best they can. I think that if if we really would step back and just consider that people are trying to do the best they can, even if it hurts, I think it would make us at least more gracious when we go into conversations and where where the people believe things that are very frustrating to us. Yeah, absolutely, man. So let me just summarize this. Um, so side X, side Y are probably what, what, what could be termed more um, traditional slash conservative approach, side X being, you know, quite, um, I don't know, rigid, perhaps rigid is, is, a, is a term that we can use there in terms of their approach. To or LGBT. strict. Yeah, strict. Okay, strict. Let's go with the word strict. Yeah, rigid. I felt rigid was a bit theatrical, so <laughs> strict. Um, and, and, and side Y being a little bit more sort of like, you know, um, a little bit more open-minded, but still definitely in that category of, you know, um, same. Maybe think about sexual identity is and and still too narrow of a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. 
So then side B, um, or what you term side B proper, uh, sounds to me, and obviously side A, before I do, because this one's a little bit more difficult to define, but side A is the you know, affirming theology. So, um, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, and um, being gay and having same-sex marriage is okay. Like, so that would be side A. Um, so, and by the way, let me clarify this in case it's unclear to anyone who's listening, and it should not be unclear to anyone who's listening, but just in case, there is no camp that says um, promiscuous, free, uh, unbridled sex is cool. So, you know what I mean? Like, I just want to throw that out there because, it, like, even in the secular world, you know, <laughs> um, and I think I mentioned this in episode two, like, there's a lot of people who confuse what has been historically termed the gay scene with the gay community, and they're not the same thing. The gay scene would be kind of like the really dramatic stories that you hear of people in the 80s, you know, sleeping around with like, you know, 20 different partners. And, you know, and by the way, the same exact thing happens in heterosexual um, scenarios. So, you know, it's not like, it's that. unheard of <laughs> in, in, in this in this pond. Um, but that is, and, and I think this is a frustrating bit, is that a lot of times you'll even have these testimonies like sort of put on a pedestal in the church like someone who's like, oh, I used to be in the gay scene and now I've been converted and I don't do that anymore. And it's like, okay, well, but none of us thought that that was okay to begin with. So, <laughs> you know, it's not the same thing as gay community where you have people who just like a heterosexual are simply seeking to fall in love, have a family and live and live a, a life where they're afforded human rights and, you know, um, and can live in peace. So it's not the same thing. So just want to throw that out there. Um, but um, so then side B, it seems to be like side B is very nuanced um, because oh yeah, yeah oh, absolutely. what you're saying is um, what you're saying is okay, so like I can see that 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 gay sex is, is not part of God's and, and, and if if I use the wrong phraseology here, please correct me. Um, it's not part of God's original design and it's not 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 something that we're designed for. so we abstain from that. however, we do not believe that being gay can be reduced to merely the act of same-sex intercourse. So therefore, we still celebrate the uniqueness and the eccentricness of what it means to be a gay person because there's so much more to it. There's than so just, much more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just as much an aesthetic experience. It's, it's just as much an aesthetic experience um, as it is a sexual experience. So, yeah. <laughs> and 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 I want to and I want to dig into that a little bit more um um later on because I got I got a point I've been slowly working my way up to bro and I'm just like we're almost there but I want I want to come back to that because I, I love this concept in fact it was this very concept that I heard in your interview with um Kendra Arsenal on uh, Advent Next that really sort of I, I really kind of sat back and thought um I gotta I gotta holler at Paul Anthony because this 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 concept I hadn't encountered it before. Um, this idea that um, to be a person who is LGBT plus or identifies as LGBT plus in our conversations, we, we do reduce it to one, a one dimensional, a, a mono dimensional thing. It's like it's always boils down to same sex intercourse. That, that's what it always boils down to, like every single time. Um, and, and you made a pretty, pretty powerful case there that. Um, it's so much more than that, and that you cannot reduce this community to merely the act of, of, of sexual intercourse. There's so much more. So I want to dig into that a little bit more. But I want to come back to the other point that you made earlier that I've been slowly inching my way toward. And, and this is the point where, because you've been talking about like, man, what we need is a better way of having the conversation. We need to honor each other. We need to respect each other. We need to see each other as in the best possible light. Um, having... Um, you know, uh, differences of opinion when it comes to this should not mean that I get to walk away saying, you know, Paul Anthony's a deceiver and Paul Anthony is, uh, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing and he doesn't really believe the Bible and beware of Paul Anthony. And then I make a whole DVD series um, uh, <laughs> and, 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 I show, and I show pictures of you preaching on stage, throwing up the Illuminati sign with your hands and, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, but here's the thing. Um, from my observation, I think part of the reason why we struggle with this, because I totally agree with you, man. I think the only way forward, if 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 we want to have meaningful conversations 
with the LGBT plus community, if we want to if we want to meaningfully minister with the LGBT plus community, regardless of where we stand on the theological spectrum of that, the only way forward is if we can love and respect each other despite the differences of opinion that we might have, and that we can see one another in the light of the cross. You know, here's a person who is sincerely and truly seeking to know God and to live according to God's word and, and, and to not turn around and sort of accuse each other of all these, you know, terrible, um, you know, things that we often do in, in church. But here's the thing. I, I feel like the reason why people struggle with this, and I want you to speak into this, is because there is a deep sort of conspiratorial narrative that seems to undergird a lot of conservative conversations. I say conservative because I haven't heard it from liberals. Um, it seems to undergird a lot of conservative conversations about um, about the LGBT plus community. And it often will come under the banner of the gay agenda, right? Um, that there's this massive conspiracy uh, currently underway that gay people are trying to upend society and destroy the family. And, you know, <laughs> and so when people when their consciousness is dominated by this narrative, what it does is it dehumanizes the LGBT person. It, 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 it turns the LGBT person into a covert operative of some evil agenda that is currently underway to dismantle the nuclear family and society and, and all these different things. Um, and so when people have that in the back of their heads, I think it's very difficult for them to say, yeah, Paul Anthony Turner, he has some different ideas than what I have, but you know what? He's an amazing human being. I know he loves Jesus. I know he loves God, and I honor and respect him. Because it's like through that lens, they automatically see you as part of this grand conspiracy. You know? um, now, here's the thing. Before, before I get you to speak into this, I'm not interested, and, I don't, and, and you aren't either, because I know we've talked about this off off. off record but like i'm not interested in developing some sort of argument through which i can convince or we can convince people who are homophobic and caught up in all these conspiracies to change their mind um because they're not the target audience for this podcast series the target audience for this podcast series is missional adventists who are who already love the gay community and they're looking for ways to, to minister you know with the queer community but i do want to speak into this at least to some degree like what what do we do with this whole concept of the gay agenda. How do you relate to it? This this grand conspiratorial narrative, um, and embedded within that notions within church that if we even talk about this issue, right? If we even speak about homosexuality, or um, we expose our kids to these conversations, that will somehow corrupt them. Because I think that goes part. That's like the cousin of the conspiracy theory, right? Is this. Uh, this this other thing so anyways yeah let me let me stop talking now i've, I've <laughs> no, let, let me know what you think no yeah so first off then i think we talked about this in the i think we might have covered this in the first episode but it bears re repeating definitely um that lgbt lgbt plus people are not a monolith we don't all think the same um as is obvious the fact that there are so many sides um we're, we're not a monolith just like straight people are not a monolith um, we again are no more corrupt or corrupting than straight people. Um, there is not some grand conspiracy, <laughs> some organization or whatever movement of 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 gay people. I'll just say I'll just pick on gay people since I'm gay. Um, out there trying to destroy um, destroy the family or whatever. Let me say this: they're not. They're no more than straight people. Um, I think straight people need to reckon, need to have a reckoning with just how much, I'm just going to say it for what it is, evil straightness has brought into this world, the, the, this concept, this, 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 this social structure called straightness has brought into the world. So before I even really get into talking about why, you know, how, how there's not some, some grand gay, gay conspiracy to corrupt the world. I need to first draw straight people to consider all the terrible, I'm not going to get into this second, but all the terrible things that have happened in this world because of this, this, this category called straightness. It's been incredibly destructive um, in, in, in various societies. So that being said, now I can come back and address and, and, and maybe take some of the heat off of the queer community 
um, we're not out there trying to destroy the family. Um, in fact, you see often um, gay couples are trying to get um, their marriages legalized or um, have gained the right to adopt children or what have you. Um, there is also within the queer community, because many of us have been disowned by our families, there is a sense of um, of chosen family where we're, we come together and we are each other's family. Um, so this idea that queer people are trying to destroy family, destroy the fabric of society is just unfounded. Um, we're trying to varying degrees and in different ways, challenge the social conventions that are because many of those straight social conventions that exist are just unhealthy. And I would say unbiblical. And so in a certain sense, I think that queer sexuality comes as a, as a course corrective for a lot of the straight toxicities that have been brought into the world. Um, I, that's not to say everything that is queer is good. It's just to say that not everything straight is good. Yeah. Um, so one of the so, things that I hear, sorry to just jump in real quick and interrupt. One of the things that I hear in the way in which you approach the conversation on queerness and straightness overall is, and correct me if, if, I, if, I, if I get this wrong, but I kind of hear a very misiological approach where what you're saying is every culture, every subculture has aspects that are redeemable and aspects that need to be, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry, I misphrased that aspects that are um, beautiful inherently within that and aspects that need need redemption and so this because this is this is like basic cultural outreach 101 is if you're going to reach out to a particular culture um, in, in any generation uh, or any any place you don't connect with them by assuming that everything they are and represent is just pure evil and you need you're the you're the big hero who's come to save them from their <laughs> from their self-imposed evil but that there are in every culture in every time in every place there are aspects that are beautiful that can be celebrated and then there's aspects that the cross challenges and I, and I hear that you're kind of approaching this conversation the same way like there are aspects of the queer community that the cross challenges and there are aspects of it that are beautiful and our error as a church is that we treat it like the entire thing is is evil absolutely yeah okay absolutely and then furthermore yeah it's, i like to say there are redeem there are um redeemable and redemptive qualities to to queerness and there are redeemable and redemptive qualities in straightness in in some degree even though i would say just as a social structure i believe that that structure is inherently um, is it is inherently oppressive because it, again, it's not just about opposite sex sexual attraction. It's about a whole plethora of other social um, social norms and mores mores that are um, unhealthy. Absolutely. And so, yeah. and, but, and I, know yeah, so I, I know we're not going to go into detail right now, but I'd love to go into more detail in the next episode on this. But just in case somebody's listening and they're like, I don't get it, I don't get it, what do you mean? Like, let, let me just throw out some really sort of maybe these might be a bit superficial um, and we'll go into more depth later on. But like things like men don't cry, you know, like that in itself, that is a, that is a that is an aspect of straight culture, right? That is an aspect of, of the straight consciousness that places a script on women are the emotional ones and men don't cry. And so what you have in the modern age is an incredible high percentage of male suicide uh, because men don't cry. And what you have in, in the gay community, and this is coming back, commenting on your statement about a course correction. What you have in the gay community is you have a community of men who don't fit that script and who say, actually, we're happy to express our emotions. We're happy yes. to express it aesthetically. We're happy to express it artistically. We're, ha we're happy to express it um, inter, inter uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, interpersonally. interpersonally. And, and then, you know, when, when and, and we see this in straight culture, um, you know, when, when a guy like wants to show affection to his friend, he'll be like, hey, no homo. You know, but let me yeah. give you a hug. You know what I mean? And so, so this is the these are the things you're talking about. There's so much more to straightness and gayness than just basically who are you having sex with or what gender are they. But that there's all these other constructs that we attach to it, and that not everything that's under the banner of straightness is inherently good or just or righteous in any way, shape, or form. Right. So that's and, and that's a really really good point to make. So, anyways, I just wanted to throw that in there for anyone who's listening and who's like, ah. 
what are, what are you actually saying? So I hope that gives you a little bit of a panorama and then we'll dig into it some more. But I'm going to hand it back over to you. I forgot where you yeah, were. Yeah, I don't <laughs> remember where I was. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess this is just to wrap up that last point um, about, about this, this secret cabal of gays. It's just, it doesn't, it, it just isn't there. Now, to be certain, are there gay people or queer people? I'll just, I'll just say gay just because it's, it's easy for me. Are there maybe, are there some gay people out there who are really extreme and out there putting out uh, a really bad, unhealthy message? Of course. Are there not infinitely more straight people doing the same? I mean, we just had in the United States, not to get too political, we just had a man who's had how many divorces? And it's, you know, come on, look at that. Look at the way he talked about women, the way he he comported himself as a sexual being and demonstrated his character. Um, that's a straight man. That's not a gay man. Um, the gay man who was running for that man's office was married to one man. And actually, he just, he just, just recently had gotten married. He's a faithful um, member of his church, uh, served as a humble um, mayor of a small town in, in, uh, in northern Indiana. Gay man married to another man, lived a godlier life and a more, um, a more principled life, in my opinion, than the straight man who was in office and had lived a, a very reprobate life. Um, and Christians ran to his aid to kind of, um, to cover over his grievances, his sexual grievances and other grievances. So this idea that gay people are trying to foul up the social order is unfounded and the only way that we can say that it's happening is if we are first going to recognize how much straight people have been doing and doing it and excelling at it in ways that gay people can't do because we don't have the power. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, we don't have the power to overthrow the social structure in the ways that they're claiming that we do. Um, but I, 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 I do remember a friend of mine, uh, sorry, um, um, I was thinking of a different story. Uh, the one I want to comment on is a podcast I was listening to by a, um, a pastor uh, interviewing a, a gay friend of his and he asked him about the gay agenda thing and uh, he, his response was really funny because he said you know I hate it when people talk about this gay agenda thing because it conjures up this image that gay people are gathering in these like secret cabals to plan the destruction of society and he's like I've never been invited so <laughs> yeah, I've never been invited honestly honestly I think a lot of gay people just want to be left alone <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I agree. I think just about every person I know in the LGBT plus community just wants to live a life that is meaningful, that is is that they are afforded the same rights as any other human being. And that's it's like, is that too much to ask? You know, um, so, yeah, man. OK, let's move on to the next one. Are you happy to do that? Absolutely. Yeah. OK, okay. so. All right. So the next point is uh, don't treat LGBT plus people like a theological exercise or prioritize theology over people. And that one's deeply tied to point number six, which is don't use your theology to mask queer phobia. But let's start with point number five. Don't treat LGBT plus people like a theological exercise or prioritize theology over people. Go. Yes. <laughs> so I mean, just just what it says. Straight Christians are often so concerned with the propositional content surrounding gay or surrounding marriage and sex and gay marriage and gay sex that they miss the fact that we're humans. They don't treat this like an existential matter where there are hearts, souls involved, emotions, feelings, fears, anxieties. Um, involved it's it's treated like a oh well we don't believe gay marriage is biblical so okay well that and we're done that's nothing like literally that accomplishes nothing you can put out as many theological treatises as you want you can put out as many theological books on homosexuality as you want you can do as you can make as many um church statements state church declarations about the church's stance on homosexuality as you want you will not be addressing the matter for what it is if you do it like that and that's how our denomination has handled it that is how countless other denominations in christianity 
have handled it, handled it, and it has not built the bridges to the LGBT community that maybe the people who have drafted those things have wanted, or maybe they have not wanted. I'm I'm not inclined to believe that that many many people want to build bridges. They give a lip service to that idea of wanting to build community with LGBT community, with the LGBT plus community, but it's not so. The fruit has not been produced by 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 their fruits you will know them. There's a, there's a strong sense of paternalism within straight um, Christian culture, whatever. Um, the paternalism meaning like uh, straight people, straight Christians will think of themselves as kind of the 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 keepers of gay people. If if straight people weren't there, gay people would go astray, and there's no there's no hope for the gays. They would all be going to hell. So we have to step in and make sure that you're not having gay sex, and make sure that you don't believe this. Meanwhile. God's working in our lives, no matter what we end up believing on this matter. The fact of the matter is that whether a gay person ends up believing in gay marriage or does not, there will be gay people in heaven. If you can't accept it, you might not like it up there. Yeah, that's right. But yeah. say it louder, bro. If you, There's people at the back right. that didn't hear you. Yeah. <laughs> Stop treating LGBT people as a problem. We are not your problem. God did not put you in the world to fix us. In a certain sense, he might've put us in the world to help straight people think differently about sexuality, about the ways that we interact with each other as humans. You know, there's actually so, an interesting point there um, because I have, I have wrestled with this idea before of the complexity that's inherent in conversations like the LGBT plus conversation, as an example. And it's not the only one. Um, it's, it's, there seems to be in every age of church history, a conversation that is very complicated. And they seem to differ from sort of generation to generation. There's always a, a conversation that's very, very complicated. You know, so if you go back to the, you know, medieval ages it's like well there's the conversation on you know islam and the islamic conquest and what do we do with these people you know and uh, you can think of the conversations surrounding jews as well during the protestant reformation particularly where luther was you know um and and, and how do we handle jews how do we handle the anabaptists who want full immersion you know what do we do with these people and it, there's there always seems to be a group of people that the established church doesn't know what to do with. And the historical pattern is that you treat these people as less than human. And that's what's historically happened, right? At every age, there seems to be a group of people we don't know what to do with. They don't match our scripts. They don't match our templates. They don't match our expectations. They don't match our picture of piety. They, they don't match our eschatology. They don't match our soteriology. They just don't match anything that we're trying to construct <laughs> as, as, a, as a church culture. What do we do with these people who just don't match? And, you know, I find it really amazing because I've begun to come to the conclusion. This is commenting on, on what you just said. I've become to the, begun to come to the conclusion that there isn't a neat theological answer awaiting us at the end of a rainbow somewhere when it comes to these issues that we face. And it, with, with respect to the LGBT plus conversation, I don't think that there's a neat, pretty, formulaic, well-defined theological answer awaiting us at the end of the next convention, you know, or at the end of the next, you know, um, uh, call for doctoral dissertations on the topic. Like, I, I think it's always going to be messy and we're always going to be like, what do we do with this? And I've begun to believe that that is actually something that God purposefully permits because what he wants us to develop is the capacity to love even when we don't know everything. To love the LGBT plus community even though we may not be able to understand everything and we may not be able to iron everything out and we may never ever, in fact, I'm not going to say may, I'm going to say will, we will never ever fit you guys in the neat theological boxes that we have historically constructed. And the theological and they're sociological as well, right? You'll never fit into that. And God is like, but do you love them anyway? Because that's what I'm really interested in, you know? And so when you look at the ministry of Jesus, for example, I preached these sermons at one of my churches last year. Um, when you look at the ministry of Jesus and what Jesus is doing in the gospels, I, I think we miss it so often because 
Think about it this way. You know, Jesus shows up and he preaches this sermon at the synagogue. And he says, you know, the spirit of the Lord is on me to, to anoint, you know, to preach good news to the poor, etc., etc. You know, set liberty those who are captives. And then the people try and stone him. And it's like, well, wait a minute, time out. Why, you know, like, come on, you know, he just read a quote from Isaiah. Like, why are people trying to kill the guy? But then you read the story again, and Jesus actually gives a few examples. He goes back and he says, hey, you remember, I don't remember all the names, I'm on the spot right now, so. But he's like, um, you remember the prophet, you know, I forget the prophet's name, but, you know, there were a lot of, there were a lot of people, you know, who, who were um, starving in Israel at the time. But God sent the prophet to a pagan lady. Right. And he fed her, right? And, and, and he talks about Naaman. There were so many lepers in Israel at that time. But God sent the prophet to cure the, an Assyrian, uh, I think, I'm pretty sure he was like a captain or something, you know, a general. Maybe, maybe it was a king. I don't know. I, I can't Amen. remember right now. Um, but the point is, the major point is, that Jesus has just preached his message about anointing, you know, and setting at liberty those who are captives and all this stuff. And then he basically tells the audience, the Jewish audience who's listening to him, God, and this is the reason why they tried to kill him. You know, I was trying to make sense. Like, why would they try and kill him after saying something so pretty, you know? And it's like, it hit me that what Jesus was essentially saying in the synagogue that morning was, God has sent me to do this amazing work. He sent me to this world. And he hasn't sent me for you. Mm. Right? Mm. He's like, I'm here, but I'm not here for you. I'm here for those who are lost. Right. I'm here for those who are broken. I'm here for those who are seeking. By the way, this isn't new. Check out what God did in the Old Testament. He bypassed Israel to heal a pagan leper. He bypassed Israel to feed a pagan woman. And that's exactly what he's going to continue to do. And so the people are like freaking out. He's like, ah, oh, you know, so they try and stone him. And then you see repeatedly through the Gospels this repeated pattern of Jesus praising people who don't match the script. You know, like the Roman centurion, for example. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. You know, it's like I don't think we appreciate how deeply offensive what Jesus was doing was. And, and, and when you really zoom back and, and look at it, what Jesus is essentially saying, his message is essentially goes something along these lines. I'm building a whole new kingdom. I'm building a whole new Israel. And I'm not doing it through you, church folk. I'm doing it through them. I'm doing it through the outcast. And it's like, if we took that message to heart, man, <laughs> you know, and so I, this is why I think just commenting on what you said a moment ago, like, I do believe that there are communities of people all throughout history. And even now, I believe the LGBT plus community is at the center of that, where it's like, we're never going to find a neat template to fit that community into that makes us churchy folk happy. And I reckon that God has his hand in that because what he wants to know is like, yeah, you won't, but can you love anyway, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to throw that in there. Hope it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting thought. Yeah, we all, yeah. I don't have anything else to add there. So. <laughs> Edit that out. Your, your final comment was don't use, or, or for, for today's episode, was don't use your theology to mask queer phobia. Let's close with that one. Yeah. So, and, and this kind of is it's very much related with the previous point, you know, not, tr not, uh, not treating queer people like a theological exercising, but rather, or prioritize theology over people. Where I see people, when I see Christians prioritizing theology over, over queer people or treating LGBT people like a theological exercise, it, it betrays the fact that there is some internal, um, Queer phobia, or there's homophobia, transphobia, whatever, because there's, there's, there's queer phobia present there. There's, in some sense, this idea that I need to fix you in order for you to be safe for me because I perceive you as a threat. So if you did not perceive that person as a threat, you would not feel the need to fix them and thus, you wouldn't be so focused on the theological content of this matter 
over the existential content of the matter. The fact that this is a another human being, another soul created in the image of God who needs a brother or sister in Christ to be there with them, no matter what they end up deciding to do ethically. Um, again, like, like that, like my friend I was telling you about um, a couple minutes ago, you know, it betrays to me, even though I know she loves me and I know she loves gay people, there is still, <clears throat> there is, there is still a remnant of, of queer phobia there. And, and, you know, that's, I have, I have queer phobia. I, I mean, I, and I'm gay. <laughs> so, you know, there are people who say, well, no, the reason why I, the reason why I do that is because I'm concerned. It's like, sweetie, God's got us. You, great people have never been gay people or queer people's saviors. So don't expect now <laughs> that we need your theology to, to somehow come and save us. What the problem is, is you don't feel I'm safe enough to be in community with you. That is the problem. Because you don't try to fix what you think is not broken. You try to fix what you think is broken. And so- And this, this goes back to a, a comment you mentioned earlier that this, this, this extends beyond the gay person in the church who's in an actively, um, actively pursuing a you know, same-sex relationship or same-sex marriage. This extends even to people in the LGBT plus community who are living celibate lives. Oh yeah, I mean, goodness. When I was pastoring uh, one summer, they, uh, <laughs> I had, I had one parent, I was having a conversation. I don't remember if I shared this in the other episode. If I did, here it is, here it is again. <laughs> um, so I, when I came out to the church and again, methodologically, was it the best way of going about it? Probably not. But the problem that they had at the church seemed to be not so much methodologically, how do we go about sharing this? But the fact that I shared it at all, they saw me as a threat. And so the head elder of that church, an 80, this 80, 81 year old, 82 or maybe year old um, white lady who thought, and that is important, all those details that she was old and that she was white because and, and she come from an upper class background. She has all these different layers of, of privilege. So she's looking at it through, from this, this, um, this, uh, this very privileged perspective and she can't realize she doesn't even realize she won't realize how much her privilege has caused has colored her um, her vision on this matter and so when we were sitting there I'm talking you know she was giving me these this look of um, that she had this air of superiority and that she was trying to help um, this poor gay um, just to realize that I if I just prayed hard enough I could become straight um, but in reality, um, as I had, as I kept talking with her, I realized, no, you're just afraid of gay people. You can keep talking to me about Romans chapter one and Leviticus 18 and 20, whatever, whatever you want to say. I mean, again, those things don't really work on me so much. I'm already celibate. Like yeah. <laughs> you're not saying anything that you, you aren't saying anything to me. This demonstrates you're not actually, a, you have a bigger problem with gay people. You don't have a problem with the fact that we're celibate or not. <laughs> you have a problem with the fact that I'm gay. <laughs> um, and another parent actually had the, had the, uh, let me say this another way than what I was going to say, had the, uh, they actually just went ahead and said it for what it was. I was talking with him um, and he, he actually had a problem that I had shared that I was gay with, with his, with, with the, the youth and young adults because his daughter was present. He was like, you know, I don't, I don't want you to share that. I don't want to know what's going on in your life because then I actually have to come to terms with wrestling with, you know, wrestling, wrestle with the fact, um, you know, if I really practice what I preach when I say I love everyone, no matter what. And so he was going on and on about for the first bit before he actually admitted that he was like, yo, there's this biblical reason, you know, everyone should, you know, should stand on their own two feet and wrestle with God by themselves. If you're dealing with something in your heart, you know, take it to the Lord and all that stuff, trying to sound like, like this trying to sound spiritual. And then when he just admitted it, it was like, bro, you should have said that at first. I would have had more respect if you just went ahead and said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just, it was just queer. It was just queer phobia. You're scared of because you perceive me to be a threat to your kids. And actually, um, that, that head elder, the 81, 80, 81, 82 year old white, 
um, lady who said, uh, who, was, who was trying to uh, demonstrate theologically why, I, you know, why would I, why what I was, what I believe was problematic. Um, she actually said, you know, you just, it just might be that you'll, you'll taint the kids pure minds. She actually said that. Wow. You'll taint wow. the kids pure yeah. minds. Yeah. And I said, yeah, see, again, this, this, this idea that I mentioned earlier with the whole respect of, you know, the gay agenda as a conspiracy theory, there's also this, it's not necessarily a conspiracy theory, but this, this uh, sort of a cousin to it, this notion that gayness is like a cold that you can catch. Like if you talk about it, the kids will be corrupted. It's like, wow. Yeah, it's like, I <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you recognize your kids are already corrupt. <laughs> it's like, I might actually be helping them. But anyways, it's, it's wild. It's wild how people will you will use their theology to cover up their queer phobia. And it, it, it takes it takes stepping back, bracketing off or suspending what you believe, not saying you get rid of it, suspending, putting it in a state of like, okay, we're just gonna hold off for just a second so I can think about what I might not be paying attention to. Because even, you know, if I, as a queer person, admit that I have queer, I still have queer phobia because of how I was taught to think about myself. Who is any straight person? Well, you know, how can any straight person claim to be without their queer phobia? It's impossible. Um, so straight Christians need to step back and consider, okay, where do I still have these remaining traces of, of, of homophobia, of transphobia? Even if you do love, you might have gay, listen, you might have gay friends, like, and you are, you, you vie with them, you hang out with them, you're good. You go to their, you go to their wedding, you're their kids, godparents, whatever you could listen, overcoming homophobia, transphobia, queerphobia of any kind is a process that'll probably take a hundred, I don't know, 200, whatever, how years, yeah. a lifetime to overcome and to keep overcoming because it's different than the way that we have been deeply programmed to believe for generations. Um, so, you know, when people come at me with their theology demonstrating how they it's you know they're just being objective and they you know any subjective um um any subjective any traces of subjective biases against or prejudices against lgbt people are not there i say that just remember the human heart is deceptive above all things incredibly deceitful i love it man i love it that's powerful bro so powerful and you're so right i think i've observed historically in my own self in my own heart that theology is the easiest and quickest place i can run to when i want to hide from god it doesn't take much effort to no. it doesn't take effort to sit down and write a statement out yeah exactly. and, and write people out. yeah yeah theology is the easiest is the easiest cover for our traumas is the easiest cover for our emotional instabilities and it's the easiest cover for our our phobias and our injustices and our hatred of the other all throughout history you can find it you know theology was used to justify the transatlantic slave trade theology was used to justify the antebellum south theology was used to justify jim crow you know and it's it, and, and and this is obviously in the realm of, of race relations but it's the same when it comes to this particular conversation on, on sexuality and the lgbt plus community and I, and I love what you've highlighted in this episode man because I would have to say that if there's one thing um, I really want people to get from this podcast series is that queer people are people. They are human beings. They are not projects. They are not theological conundrums. They are not philosophical quandaries. They are human beings. They have dreams. They have desires. They have passion. They have... Um, they're interesting, they're funny, they're, they're, they're like any other human being on the planet. There's, there's nothing to be afraid of. You know, there's, there's nothing to run from, there's nothing to hide from. You don't have to hide them in the basement when the relatives come over, you know, like queer people <laughs> are people. And right. this is not just, by the way, and I, and I, wanna, I wanna make this uh, really clear as well because I think um, oftentimes uh, the trans community gets lost in the LGBT plus conversation. 
and 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 I, so I want to I want to just especially like highlight the trans community, you know, and 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 really emphasize like you know they're human beings, man, and <laughs> you know they if you really sit down and just have a conversation and really try and get to know people, you'll find out that all the statements and all the research and all the PhDs in the world can never really fully conceptualize the beauty and eccentricness and 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 multifaceted and, and multicolorness. I don't know, I'm trying to think of cool words here. Uh, that that encapsulates a human being. And that's, you know, irrespective of their sexual orientation, human beings are beautiful, interesting people. And so I really just want to encourage people because, you know, obviously the purpose of this entire podcast series is to say how can we how can we minister effectively with the LGBT plus community as we're seeking to live missionally in a post-church age. And yeah, that's just such a big one for me, man. Like recognize that they are human beings, that they're, they're not some agenda in your news, um, you know, uh, what's the word, in, in your news lineup. They're not some problem in your, in your doctrinal statement. They're human beings, human beings, man. Like if we can capture that, if we can embrace that and celebrate that. There may be areas that we still disagree on, but man, we've come a long way if we can celebrate that. On uh, Paul Anthony, I've held you for an hour and 12 minutes. I'm thinking maybe it's time to call it a night because it's nighttime for you. Um, yes. We'll get together again next week. We've got a few more to explore, a few more don'ts, and then we're going to move into some do's. So, um, yeah, man, I'll give you the last word. But before I do, thank you again for taking the time to share with us, man. It's been absolutely amazing. For those who have been listening, thank you for taking the time to to tune in for another episode of this uh, this year's uh, for Potanar, uh Season 3, Ministering with the LGBT plus community here on the story church podcast really appreciate you guys uh paul anthony i'll give you the last word and then um we'll catch you guys next week what do i want to say at the end edit this for me (laughs) um let's see i guess considering what we've covered today just remember probably the most important takeaway should be a little bit of kindness in this conversation will go a very long way. And a lot of kindness will take us to heaven.